Well, good morning. Welcome to Faith on Hill's online Sunday morning service. Of course, we meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. In person, we are at the church building on Hill Road in the Oak Grove area, and we are online audio versions on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You just have to search Faith on Hill. A live stream is on our website, faithonhill.com, and the video is always at our Facebook page as well. We meet throughout the week, and we have small groups, and if you want more information, you can email smallgroups at faithonhill.com. And then also we have other podcasts that are available on our social media and podcast streams. So if you subscribe to the Faith on Hill podcast streams, you'll get all of our online content. I want to start off by acknowledging with sadness everything that's gone on in our country, in Uvalde's Texas, this week. We are raw, and there is a community that's hurting, but as a nation, we hurt and we grieve. And we're mad, and we're angry. And I've seen angry posts from every side. I've seen people call America, wake up. And one person says, wake up, and says, this is what's going on. And another person says, wake up, and this is what's going on. And while all that's going on, a community just wants to, needs to mourn and grieve and be broken. So we pray for our, our fellow Americans in Texas this week. We pray for their families. We pray for the souls of those who have been murdered. But I've been thinking, how can I do something positive? Because I wasn't there. I can't control what happens in another part of the country. What can I do positive? And for every person, that'll look different. But I'll say this. This is what I've done this week. First of all is that I emailed the school board, and I emailed the superintendent in one email. I you know, cc'd them both. There were a few things uh, that I was troubled by. Uh, one of the things in particular is that the school district has cut funding for staffing for students that have mental and emotional health challenges. So I called them out on it. Uh, and so that was something I did that I thought was something that I could do in a positive way to affect positive change in light of the tragedy that's happened. Everybody's going to do what they think they need to do. But I encourage us, what can I do in my community? You know, something I was thinking about was that the shooter was a boy who was failed. It sounds, from everything I've read, it sounds like he was failed by his family and he was failed by the education system. I'm not excusing in any way the evil that he did. What he did was evil and he made that choice. But somewhere along the way, and probably multiple somewheres along the way, he was failed. And so I have been reflecting and thinking about who are the young women and the young men in my life that I have the chance to speak into their life and to not fail them. I think all of us have people that we can connect with, that we can pray for, that we can reach out to, that we can encourage. It's not something I talk about a lot, but Years back in my ministry, I did have the chance to minister to someone who went on to be a school shooter. We can only do so much. Everybody's going to make their own choice, but I think all of us can look around and say, who is it that I can reach out to? Who is it that I can try to encourage? Who is it that I can speak hope into their lives? Now, we're going to also remember Memorial Day this weekend. 
We have a holiday weekend. It's a three-day weekend, and it is to remember those who have fallen and given their lives in service and defense of this country. When I was a kid growing up, it was a, a time that you uh, maybe remembered that your grandfather or your great uncle or somebody much older than you had fought in a war. But now, it's not your grandfathers and your great uncles. It's people your own age, people younger than me, came back from war with the scars of fallen comrades in arms. And so today we want to remember them and honor them. And I think it's good for us to take a moment and reflect and remember and give tribute. As we continue our study of the Gospel of Matthew, we are going to talk about uh, living like Jesus, but also knowing Jesus. I think something that happens is that we talk about living like Jesus. We talk about learning the Bible. We talk about gaining knowledge of God. But there's something different between knowing about someone and knowing someone. The big idea is Jesus talking about relationship. It says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 20, Jesus denounces the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. He doesn't just go and denounce random places, but these are places where he himself had done the most ministry, had performed the most miracles. And he said, Woe to you, Chirazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. Now, Tyre and Sidon were cities on the coast of the Mediterranean, north of Israel. They were Gentile cities. They were not Jewish cities. Jesus is pronouncing woe on these cities in the Galilee region in Israel where he had done the most miracles. He had done the the most miraculous things, the most divine things that happened there. And he says, hey, if I had gone to these pagans, if I had gone to these heathens, they would have repented long ago, but you still refuse to repent of your sins. You still refuse to change. There is a, a verse in another one of the Gospels in Luke chapter 12, verse 48, Jesus says, for everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. The one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. I think the modern paraphrase is from Spider-Man. With great power comes great responsibility. With great knowledge comes great responsibility. Jesus is saying to these people, you know the truth. You have seen the power of God. You have heard my teaching. You have seen my life. You know what the truth is, and yet you will not change your ways. He said, these guys over here haven't gotten a fraction of what you have been given. If they had gotten that, it would have been much different. Now, somebody is going to say, well, wait a minute then, Jesus. Why don't you go to Tyre and Sidon? If if that's the case, why don't you go there? There's two things that I would say to that. First is this. Jesus' calling from the Father was to go to the lost sheep of Israel. And this is talked about in other parts of the Gospels. 
But Jesus was coming to fulfill the promises that God had made to his people Israel. He was coming as their Messiah. Now, was God's plan to save the entire world through Jesus? Yes. Yes, it was. But Jesus had come on a mission to the lost sheep of Israel. You know, it's, it's basically as if, let's say, let's say that all of a sudden you just had a million dollars dropped into your lap. And you said, you know what, I'm going to take some of this money and help people out. And let's say that you, you sent a bunch of money to the other side of the world, but you had a brother, a sister, a parent, a child, a close family member here who was in great need, and you did nothing for them. I heard the story once of a woman who said, God has called me to go minister to children in the worst neighborhood in the Bronx. And so she left her own children. She abandoned them and her husband, and she moved to the Bronx to minister to these underprivileged kids. I can tell you God did not call her to do that. There's no way that it is right for her to abandon her own children. Are those kids with needs? Yes. Are there, are there needs there? Absolutely. But we all have responsibilities first and foremost to our own family. And so Jesus is saying, look, it's not about Tyre and Sidon. Somebody went and preached the gospel to them. Eventually that happened. Jesus is, is making a point not about Tyre and Sidon, but he's making a point to Chorazin. He's making a point to Bethsaida. He's making a point to these towns. He's saying, all that you have experienced and you still will not accept me as your Messiah. You still will not see who I am. You know, one of the things that you'll hear church people say is, I can't believe how lost this world is and how far things have fallen in America. My response is this. There is more access to the Word of God than ever before. Recently, my wife and I watched a show um, that took place just at the start of the Protestant Reformation. And one of the characters gets a hold of an English Bible. I mean, we have Bibles everywhere. The room I am in, right, here at the church, there are so many Bibles just in this room. And then you get your phone out, right? And I've got my Bible app that has like every English translation available. There's Bible access everywhere. But in that time, in England, only a handful of people had the Bible in a language they could understand. Only a handful of people could read the Word of God on their own to understand it. And there's an interesting conversation that this one character has with another, and he says, here, you can read it and see what's in there. And he says all of this stuff about purgatory and indulgences and nuns and confession, all of that stuff, it's not in here. All of the stuff that we have been told, because only the priests can speak Latin and they were only allowed to translate the Bible into Latin. It was a system of control. And he says all of the stuff that we've been told, it's not there. It's not there. We have such a responsibility as Christians in America because we have more access to more things than just about any other time in church history. We have total and complete access to the word of God, which was denied to believers for hundreds and in some points thousands of years. We have 
accessibility of finances and resources. We have accessibility of movement and travel. We have the ability to do things in America that other Christians could only dream about. And one day somebody's going to look and say, what did we do with it? What do you know? Jesus continues on and he says, and you, Capernaum, which is where Jesus probably lived, will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. For if one of the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. I think Jesus is somebody who liked hyperbole. Hyperbole is using uh, over-exaggerated statements to make a point. You know, what do you think of that burger? Oh, this is the best burger I've ever had. Like, is it really? No, but you're using these big words. Hey, how did it go? Oh, it was the worst moment of my life. Was it really the worst moment of your life? No, but we use these exaggerated words. We speak in hyperbole to make a point. That's what Jesus is doing here. First, he mentions Tyre and, and Sidon, these, these modern to them, uh, current to them cities that they would have said, that's where the sinners live. And then he references Sodom, which in their history was considered one of the most sinful cities ever. It was a city full of violence. It was a city full of immorality. It was a city uh, with, uh, with, with like public rape culture. It, it was a city of idolatry. And Jesus says, hey, those guys, those guys would have listened. Why aren't you? So he's not speaking so much about Sodom or he's speaking about Tyre and Sidon. He's speaking about the people that are hearing him. What is it that's keeping you? There are, there are people right now across the world who have great, deep, and active faith in Jesus. But we know that 20% of all churchgoers in 2019 stopped going to church altogether nationwide, and in some places it was more, but stopped going to church altogether in 2020. It's, I'm not trying to shame anybody, like, why haven't you been in church on Sunday morning? But being a part of a church family is, in general terms, part of having a healthy, active faith. And it stopped and it stopped for so many people. And someday somebody's going to say, you had the ability to go to church openly and freely every Sunday? We can only dream of that. Churches in, in the Muslim world, churches in, in places where there's great oppression, Christians in North Korea live in secret, live in hiding, and yet we have almost unlimited freedom. What do you know? What have you been given? What have you received? That is what we will be responsible for. That's the point Jesus is trying to make. And then he moves from what do you know to who do you know? Because he says at that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, the Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. And all of these things have been committed to me by the Father, and no one knows the Son except by the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Jesus says, hey, you know what? I'm glad that God the Father chose to reveal the truths of heaven, chose to reveal the truths of God 
to people that were considered unimportant. We think of the disciples, the apostles, as great people. The women and the men we see in the Bible as, as towering figures, but they were nobodies. You know, we talked last week about John the Baptist maybe not having his expectations met. Jesus was shown to be the Messiah at the Jordan River where John the Baptist was, and then he disappears for 40 days, and instead of going to Jerusalem where the king should go, he goes to Galilee, the middle of nowhere. There's nothing there. Those people were the most, like, looked down on. Nobody respected them. You had an accent from the Galilee. You must not be that smart, that educated, that important. And that's where Jesus chose to put the primary point of his ministry was among what would have been considered the lowest group or community among the people of Israel. But he says the only way that you know the Father is through the Son and the only way that you know the Son is that you've, it's been revealed to you by the Father. John chapter 14, verse 6 And I can't prove it, but I am fairly certain that of all verses of the Bible, this is the one I have quoted in Bible teaching more than any other one. John chapter 14, verse 6 says, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. It's not just what you know, because that's what Jesus was saying a minute ago. This is what you know. This is what you're responsible for. It's who you know. Most Americans believe in God. Most Americans believe in a deity or a higher power as they understand them. But Jesus says the only way that someone can truly know God is through knowing Jesus. God the Father is revealed in his fullness through God the Son, Jesus Christ. The only way someone can know God is through knowing Jesus I have found it interesting over the years how many people have spoken about a relationship with God or a belief in God, but refuse to connect that to Jesus. Oh, I believe in God. I, you know, God's cool. And then there's Jesus over here. No, Jesus is God. Jesus is the full revelation of God to humanity. Who do you know? Jesus is saying, hey, Father, I'm grateful that this is the way you've done it. That you've chosen to reveal these great things to those who have been viewed as humble and unimportant because you are showing your greatness through it. But the only way somebody can know God is by knowing Jesus. And we cannot state that enough. We cannot emphasize that enough. We don't want to just bring people the knowledge of God. We want to bring people to, the, to knowledge and knowing God relationally through Jesus Christ. And so the only way that we have that is by faith. It's what you know and what do you do with it. Who you know and what that means. And finally, what good is that knowledge? Jesus then says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, almost anyone before 
a hundred years ago would have known immediately what he's talking about. Because almost everyone up to about 100, 150 years ago had some connection to an agrarian society. But most of us are not now, and so this has to be explained. A yoke is that thing that goes over the shoulders or the neck of beasts of burden, of oxen, of donkeys, of horses that are pulling carriages or plows or carts. The yoke is what is put over, and then the ropes for the, uh, you know, for the, uh, the reins come from there. Sometimes the yoke was put over the shoulders of the animal, and then the, the load, if it was like a pack animal, is hung from the yoke. And on either side, there's, there's the weight of their load, and they might be weighted down as they travel from farm to market or from one city to another city for trade. Jesus has put my yoke on, but unlike the beasts of burden and the pack animals, my yoke is easy and light. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Do you think there's some weary and burdened people out there? Jesus is making a bold claim that he is enough for our worries and our burdens. We have lived through terrible times. The past several years, we had a, a pandemic, fear and uncertainty, illness, people dying. How many people have watched loved ones be sick and in, in many cases die? Added to that, to stay healthy and to keep the numbers of infections down so as not to overwhelm our healthcare system, we had to isolate ourselves, but human beings are social creatures. And we saw as isolation kicked in, the suicide rate or the attempted suicide rate in America skyrocketed. Substance abuse in America through drugs or alcohol skyrocketed. Depression in America skyrocketed. All of these coping mechanisms came into place as a result of that. And then we got angry at each other as we debated about should we wear masks or isolate or not. And then through all of this, as these things built up, then there was the, the revelation of just the level of sin and racism in our country. As George Floyd was murdered, as Ahmaud Aubrey was murdered, and we saw with our own eyes what our brothers and sisters in minority communities had been telling us was there for years, but we just didn't want to listen. And, and everything blew up and there was riots. And you might remember for a while, there was just endless riots. It was like, okay, wh which neighborhood is on flames today? And it's just built and it's built and we're tired. And then there's been war and there's been elections and there's been just endless division. And it's like, Really? Do we need something else to fight over? And then what happened this week in Texas happens, and it's like, oh my goodness, now there's going to be this too? What else do we have to just cause weariness, to cause burdens, to cause us to be broken? But Jesus makes a bold claim saying, bring that to me. What good is it to know Jesus if we still walk around in suffering, in burden, in misery? But the free gift of God is eternal life and life more abundantly. Now, there, are, there is a type of teaching in the church that says a Christian should never be down, a Christian should never feel bad, Christians Christian should never be stressed out, we should always be happy and upbeat and everything. And I do not believe that. I believe that you know what? There's a lot of times where I am not happy and upbeat. 
and I don't believe that I am sinning in any way. There are times where I am just feeling it, and I don't believe that I am sinning or not trusting Jesus or not living in faith because of it. What I'm saying is this. The sin is not if I am not just an always upbeat person, right? There's just people who are like that, and then they go, I don't get it. Why isn't everybody else? That's not the sin. The sin is do I choose to bring my burdens and my weariness continually to Jesus and say, I believe in faith that you are enough. I believe in faith that your grace is sufficient for me today. We are in the middle of brokenness. We are looking around at a world that is raging. And our only hope is not by picking a side. Our only hope is not by getting into the fight. Our only hope is by saying this whole thing is not working. I want Jesus. And I recognize that I have more to be responsible for than maybe some others do. And I recognize that there are those who just try to bring religion or morals or a belief in God, whatever that means, as some form of hope. But the only way that I can really know God is through Jesus. And the, when I know Jesus, what good is that knowledge? It is this. Romans chapter 8, verse 6 says, The mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. That as I submit myself to Jesus, as I surrender to Jesus, as I am full of the Holy Spirit of God, then life and peace reigns in my world. Does it mean that I'm always happy, upbeat? No, of course not. But peace is beyond my emotional state. There have been times where I've been incredibly peaceful and yet incredibly grieved and sorrowful. They're not the same thing. We have hope that this world does not know. And when I say this world, I am including those who claim to be of Christ, but are just dead church religion. We have hope and peace that this world does not know. But as we bring the good news of Jesus Christ to the world around us, we bring the good news that all, all, all who are burdened and heavy laden with worries and pains and hurts can find hope and healing. And there's no limit to what Jesus can do in a life. Have you been abused? There is hope and healing. Are you an abuser? There is hope and healing. Have you been in the bondage of substance abuse? There is hope and healing. Have you been just afflicted and never been able to get over unforgiveness and bitterness and anger? There is hope and healing. As, as the last several years just brought you to a place where you're, I can't take it anymore. There is hope and healing through Jesus. There is hope and healing. Come to Jesus, all who are heavy laden, heavy of heart, burdened, beaten down. Jesus will give you rest. God bless you. May you know the peace of God this week. May the city of Uvalde, Texas, know the peace of God this week. May those of us who are disciples and followers of Jesus be bringers of hope and peace this week and not contributors of rage and wrath.